All right, good morning. Looks like everybody made it in. I think there was some network problems with the kid check-in this morning. There's some pretty big lines, so glad everybody finally made it in here. Um, so let's start with some questions. Uh, if this was class, it might be a pop quiz, but I won't grade anybody on this, so um, we'll just let you answer these to yourselves. Um, but the first question is, do you have faith? And what do you have faith in? And how do you know when you have faith? For that matter, what is faith so that, so that you know when you have it? It's pretty important that we have answers to those questions, don't you think? I mean, a lot hangs on our faith. Um, the Bible tells us that we are saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Um, we're made righteous by faith. We receive our justification in Christ through faith. Um, we have access to God's grace by faith. And so, um, I mean, those things are really the core of the gospel. And, and it's pretty important that we have a good understanding of, of our own faith. Um, the Bible obviously has a lot to say about faith, but one of the best explanations, or maybe the, the, the most complete explanation, is in Hebrews 11. Uh, and so we're going to look at, at, at that chapter today. Um, if you're looking at the, the blue Bibles that are in the back of the seat in front of you, um, that's on page 851. Uh, if you've got your own Bible, um, Hebrews is pretty far towards the back. It's about eight books from the end, I believe. Um, so go ahead and turn there. And, and while, you're, while you're finding Hebrews 11, let me say a couple things about, uh, about this book. Um, we probably know less about the book of Hebrews than any other book in the New Testament. Uh, we don't know for sure who wrote it. Uh, it was originally, well, not originally, but uh, it, was, it was believed to have been written by Paul. Um, but we're pretty sure now that Paul did not write it. Some people have guessed that it may have been written by Barnabas, who was uh, one of Paul's companions. Um, some people have, have said that they think it may have been Priscilla and Aquila uh, who wrote the book together. Um, perhaps the best guess is Apollos. Uh, you might remember Apollos from the book of Acts. He was one of Paul's helpers um, in Corinth and, and at Ephesus. But we don't know for sure who wrote it. We know a little bit more about the people it was written to, uh, and we get that mostly from the internal evidence, from what we see in the, in the book of Hebrews itself. Um, it was written... Uh, most likely to a house church or a group of churches in Rome. Um, and as the name implies, the epistle to the Hebrews, the, the people that it was written to um, were Hebrews. They were Jewish, uh, who, Jews had, who had converted to Christianity. And you have to understand that, that for since first century Jews, um, their religion was everything, right? Their lives revolved around Judaism, and, and so when they converted to Christianity, their, their lives were turned upside down. They, were, they probably lost friends. They were uh, probably being shunned by their family. Um, and, and they were beginning to be persecuted by, by the Romans. Uh, not quite to the degree that they would be in the near future, um, but, but there was some evidence of, of persecution. And so they were beginning to waver in their faith. They were really beginning to question why they had, uh, why they had chosen Christianity. And some of them think, were thinking about turning back to Judaism, leaving behind this Christianity and going back to that religion that they had grown up, with, grown up in, that they knew so much about, and that was so comfortable 
uh, to them. And I think that in, in some ways we can really identify uh, with that today. Um, many of us have to face questions uh, about our beliefs, whether from friends or, or family or at work. Um, and, you know, sometimes just living the Christian life can, can just be plain hard. And, and sometimes it seems easier uh, for us to go back to our former way of life or, or to a way of life that we think would be easier uh, than living as a Christian. And so this letter, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, was written to this church in Rome um, as basically as a sermon. The whole book reads like a sermon, um, and it was meant to encourage those people to stick with their faith, to stay the course. And, and again, that message is just as relevant for us today. Sometimes, um, you know, I really could use that kind of encouragement. Well, that brings us back to, to my original questions about faith. What is, this, what is this faith that saves us? And uh, again, thinking about Judaism at that time, uh, it was really a works-based system, right? They, they really didn't understand or they didn't completely get faith. Um, they, they were familiar with a religion that was works-based. They had sacrifices to make. They had feasts to observe. Um, there were ritual washings to go through. There were ceremonies and circumcisions and the law. And that's the kind of religion that they knew. They knew a works-based religion. Um, and now we're talking about a new, kind of, a, new kind of, uh, a new kind of faith, a new kind of religion based on faith. And so the majority of the, of the letter up, up to chapter 11 has been the author reminding them how how Christianity, how Jesus is superior to Judaism. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more uh, priests between them and God. And then in chapter 11, um, he turns his attention to this idea of faith, and he gives them a bunch of examples of what faith is like um, so that they can, uh, so that they can under, understand better where their, where their salvation comes from. And, you know, I think our world is not so different um, in terms of our understanding of faith. The world has a pretty distorted picture of, of what we mean as, as Christians, what we mean by faith. Um, the world tends to think of faith as, uh, as blind faith, as belief in the absence of, of any evidence. And of course, that's really not what we mean. This isn't an apologetic sermon. I'm not gonna go into the evidence part. Um, but that's not what we mean by faith. And but, but my, the point I want to make is that that's the first reason it's important for us to understand our faith is because the world has a messed up picture of faith and we need to be able to explain our faith. Uh, we're commanded to explain our faith, to be able to ex- explain our faith. Peter wrote, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, so we need to be able to explain to people what we believe, what we mean when we say that we have faith, and, and what we mean when we say that we're saved by grace through faith. The second reason we need to, to really understand this faith is for ourselves. Again, we're, we're saved by faith. Our justification and righteousness come through our faith. And so we need to know what that faith is so that I know how to respond to that faith. How do I live my life in the light of that faith. And, and when my faith is shaken, when discouragement comes, uh, when I'm tempted to give up, right, what does that, how does, how does my faith sustain me through those, uh, through those times? So let's take a look at Hebrews 11, um, starting with verse 1. 
uh, the author says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So let's stop right, right there for just a second. At first glance, that looks a lot like the, words, the world's definition of faith, belief in the absence of evidence. It appears that the author is saying that faith is being sure that what I hope for will come true, even though I may not be able to control it. It lies in the future, but I sure hope it comes true. And faith is being certain that invisible things exist. Right? But that's not, that's not the point. We need to dig a little deeper to understand uh, to understand what, what Hebrews is talking about. This is one of those passages that can be a little bit difficult to translate. There are different ways to translate some of these words, and it, it, it's hard to get the meaning, the full meaning of the Greek word into a single English word or into a short phrase. So the NIV has chosen being sure and certain. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But some of your translations might say that faith is um, is the assurance of what we hope for, or faith is the substance of what we hope for. And it might say faith is the evidence of things we do not see. Okay, so, so that's a little bit, little bit different twist on it, but, but how is faith substance? Substance is, substance is stuff, right? Stuff that I can grab. And, and faith uh, doesn't seem like, like stuff. Faith is just an idea that's out there in the future. It's something that I hope for. Or I should say, I should say hope is something that, that's, that's out there in the future. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, we hope that certain things might happen. So, you know, I hope it's not as hot next week. Or um, I hope everything works out okay. Or I hope the Bears can beat the Packers this year, right? Um, I don't hope that personally. Uh, I know that some of you do, and good luck with that. Um, you're you're going to need your faith. Um, but but that's so so you know that's how we kind of think of, of this idea of hope. But but the kind of the kind of faith we're talking about here is not that kind of faith. The kind of faith we're talking about is faith in the sovereign God, right? And the things we hope for are the things that He has promised. And when the sovereign God makes a promise, we can have faith. We can trust that he's going to keep those promises. And and so by faith, those promises, the things we hope for, become so real that we can experience them now. Okay, so it's kind of, you know, we've all experienced things sort of like that. There's something in the future that we want. Um, We're buying a new house or we're starting a new job. Uh, or, or maybe we're expecting a baby, right? And you start to think about those things, and you picture them in your head. You think what your furniture is going to look like in that new house. How are we going to arrange the couch? Where are we going to put the TV? If I put it over there, there's going to be a glare from the window, so I better put it over here, right? Um, we think about what the, what the new boss is going to be like, or we start to imagine what that baby's going to be like. And the more we think on those things, the more real they become. So, so the kind of faith we're talking about here is kind of like that, except again, we're talking about God's promises. And so faith, by, by faith, those things we hope for become so real that you can reach out and you can touch them. You can grab a hold of them. You can start to smell them and taste them already, 
okay? And that's the substance that the author is talking about. That's how, that's how, that's how faith is being, um, it, it, faith is the substance of what we hope for. It gives substance to the things that we hope for, even in the here and now. Well, um, then look at verse three. Uh, the author says, um, he's basically saying to, to these Jewish Christians that this idea of faith, this being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see, isn't completely foreign to you, okay? Yes, Judaism is a works-based religion, but it's not completely foreign to you. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So he's saying, you know, you already believe that God is the creator. You weren't there to see it happen. There weren't any uh, eyewitnesses, but you believe it by faith. And, and we all have certain things that we believe by faith. Most of us this morning, someone in the household um, went out to the car, put the key in the ignition and turned it, and the car started. And you knew that that was going to happen, even though most of us are not mechanics, um, and most of us don't fully understand the workings of the internal combustion engine, but we were pretty darn sure that when we turned the key, the car was going to start, right? Um, most of us have faith in, in modern medicine. The doctor prescribes us a pill, we take the pill, um, we expect it to, to help our condition, whatever that might be, um, even though we don't have a degree in biochemistry and we don't fully understand all that. So we all have some idea of this concept of faith. Um, okay, so where are we so far? It, with the, after the first three verses, we kind of, we, we're starting to get a picture of faith. We know that faith is about God even though we can't see him with our eyes, and the things that we hope for, even though that they lie off in the future, being so real to us that they have substance, that we can touch them, okay? And we have, we have some idea of this concept of, of what this faith is like from other things in our lives. But then the author turns uh, to, to giving some examples of, of people who have lived a life of faith, uh, and this is where it starts to get really interesting. Uh, he, he basically starts with Genesis, and he runs all the way through the Old Testament, listing all the heroes of the faith, or some people have called this the Hall of Faith, or the Hall of Fame uh, of Faith. And again, you have to understand that these, these Jewish Christians were very familiar with these stories. They knew them by heart. And so, you know, the mere mention of a name like Enoch or Rahab would have called to mind for them the, the entire story. Um, unfortunately, most of us aren't as familiar with the Old Testament. Um, sure, we, when we hear Noah, we know Noah's Ark, we know that story. Um, but some of the others are, are maybe sort of cloudy memories from when we were in Sunday school as, as little kids. And, and we might need some, some reminding to sort of get the full picture um, of, of their story. And I don't have time to go through all of the examples in detail. I'm just going to try to hit some of the highlights um, but it's important uh, that we read the rest of this chapter. And it's kind of a long chapter, so, so bear with me. Um, but we'll, we'll read it together. And as I'm reading, um, as I'm reading, I want you to think about what these examples have in common, what these people have in common. Um, what do you notice about them? Uh, what do you notice about their faith? What does the author say about their lives that, that shows that these people have faith? Okay, so let's start with verse uh, 4, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. 
By faith, Enoch, when taken from this life so that he did not experience death, uh, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Okay, so that was verse 12. I'm going to skip over verses 13 to 16 for now. We're going to come back to those in a little bit. So picking up again, Uh, at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the, man, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, Others were tortured and refused to be released, 
so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Okay, let's stop there. So what did you notice? What did you see in that list of people? Again, if this was class, I would call on somebody. But I won't make anyone answer. I'll answer for you. So what does faith look like here? Well, there are at least four things that we can take out of this passage. The first one, for the first one, look at what these people had faith in. Yes, they had faith in God, right? That's obvious. But they had faith in the word of God. Faith starts with the word of God, a promise made by God. Just to point out a few of the examples, um, just look at verse 7. Noah was warned by God about things not yet seen. Verse 8, Abraham was called to leave his home. Verse 9 Abraham, or verse 9 says that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were fellow heirs of a promise. They'd been given a promise about the promised land, that they would inherit the land. Verse 11 says that, that Moses was looking ahead to his reward, a promise from God. And, and many of the others, although maybe not specifically mentioned here, if you know the stories when he's talking about the prophets and, and some of the others, they were relying on or, or responding to God's promises um, of deliverance, of their return to Jerusalem when they had been exiled, or, or of a, the, the coming of the Messiah. So, so there, there's always a word of God to start with. God had spoken, he had made a promise, and that was enough. So the starting point is, is always God's word. The second thing we can take out of this has to do with their attitude. The second truth of the life of faith has to do with these people's attitude. Faith comes from a heart focused on God. Noah, it says, it says specifically in verse 7, Noah in holy fear built an ark. Not, not fear in the sense that he was scared of what God might do if, he didn't, if Noah didn't obey, but, but fear in the sense of humility and awe and reverence at, at God's power. Um, verse 17 talks about, Isaac, uh, talks about Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. And, you know, you remember that story. God had promised Abraham a son, right? Um, and through that son, Abraham would have all of these descendants. He would be the father of a great nation. And then God said, sacrifice that son. How did, how did Abraham respond to that? What was his reaction? But to sort of see that, we need to go back to the, to the story in the Old Testament. And it says that, that God had told Abraham to, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, so he gathered up the stuff, and they went out to the place that God had shown him. And when they got there, Genesis 22, verse 5 says, he, Abraham, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. He was getting ready to worship. He went and he built an altar to worship. God said, you're going to have a multitude of descendants through Isaac. And God said, sacrifice Isaac. Seems like a contradiction to say the least. But Abraham, and Genesis doesn't say how Abraham figured this was all going to work out. Hebrews says that 
He figured that God could raise the dead. So God said it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go worship God. His heart was focused on worshiping God. Even in the face of a confusing and brutal sounding message from God, he was still ready to worship. One more example um, comes from verse 34. Uh, It it says uh, there were those who quenched the fury of the flames. Um, they're not, the names aren't mentioned, but that's pretty clearly uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? And um, you remember the story in, from, from Daniel chapter 3 of, of those three guys in the fiery furnace. Um, they were, uh, the Jews were in exile, and the king had built this huge gold statue and told everyone that they had to bow down and worship, worship it. And, and these three refused to do it. They said that they wouldn't worship. So they were brought before the king. The king was going to throw them into the fiery furnace, and they said, our God is able to save us from the furnace. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image you have set up. See, they had their hearts focused on God alone. Even in the face of death, they said, even if he's not going to save us, we're not going to worship your idol. We're only going to worship God, our God. Their, their hearts were set, uh, were focused on, on God. So that was the second one. The third uh, truth of the life of faith, um, and probably the most obvious thing that you, can, that you can see in these verses, is that faith requires a confident action. Faith requires more than a set of beliefs and a good attitude. It requires you to do something. It has to be active. And these people did things, and that's what we see in this chapter. Um, an example of that, though, is that, you know, I said earlier, I have, I have faith in medicine, right? And in particular, I have faith in Tylenol, all right? I know that when I have a headache, um, I can go and, and take some Tylenol, and that will help my headache. Um, it says so right on the bottle. Um, and I know people, I know other people who have taken Tylenol. They tell me that it helps them. And so I know that Tylenol will help. Um, and I have the right attitude about Tylenol in my heart. I don't abuse Tylenol. I take the recommended dosage. When the bottle is, uh, when, when, when it gets past the date on the bottle, um, I throw it, the bottle out, right? Jackie's looking at me funny. It, it's an illustration. Just work with me here, okay? <laughs> right? So, so I have faith. I have faith in that Tylenol. But when I have a headache, if instead of reaching for the bottle of Tylenol, I drink some herbal tea or I go and get acupuncture, then did I really have faith in the Tylenol? No. If I had faith in the Tylenol, I would take the Tylenol, right? Um, I can say all day long that I have faith in medicine. I can shout it from the rooftops, but when the rubber meets the road, if my actions don't match my words, what I say I have faith in, then I don't have faith at all. Right? Faith requires action. And we see that in Hebrews 11. These people did something. We're not going to and, and that's something that they did is what was called faith. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter again, uh, but we'll go, let's run through it quickly and look that every time it says, by faith, somebody did something, right? Um, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch, you have to look for it here, but Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. By faith, Abraham and Sarah, Hebrews doesn't say exactly what they did, but they were enabled to have a baby, okay? Um, 
by faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. Joseph gave instructions about his bones. Moses' parents hid him for three months. Uh, By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated. He left Egypt. He kept the Passover. The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. Um, The people marched around the the walls of Jericho Jericho for seven days. Rahab welcomed the spies, and others conquered, administered, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames, escaped the sword, routed foreign armies, and on and on and on. There's always a verb, okay? Faith requires that kind of confident action. Faith changes the way you live your life. The fourth truth about faith, uh, about the life of faith, is that faith will be rewarded. Okay? Now, we need to be a little bit careful here. We need to make sure we, oh, you understand, I need to make sure you understand what I'm saying when I say that faith will be rewarded. Some of the stories in chapter 11 end with a reward. Okay? Noah saved his family. Um, Moses freed the Israelites from Egypt. The walls of Jericho fell down. Um, the Israelites eventually conquered the promised land. And then, you know, look at the people in verses 32 through 35. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice. They were saved from the lions and the fiery furnace. They escaped from the edge of the sword. Women received back their dead. So, so they got a reward of sorts, right? But keep looking at verse 35. Don't stop there. Women received back their dead. Others were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. All of that by faith. By faith, they were stoned. By faith, they were sawed in two. See, I'm not saying that, that if we stick to our faith, things are going to turn out okay in the end. Now, in, in the here and now. God is not promising to rescue us from our hardships if we just have enough faith. Sometimes, sometimes we're sustained through our suffering, through our faith, by our faith. And, and Hebrews 11 understands that really well. Go, we skip those verses, verses 13 through 16. Um, here he starts to explain a little bit more about the reward. So go back up there to verse 13. He says, all these people, and at this point, we're only at verse 13, so he's just talking about uh, Abel and Enoch and uh, Noah and Sarah and Abraham. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, it says they did not receive the things promised. Abraham found the promised land, but he never owned it. He lived in tents. Um, Abraham and Sarah were promised Isaac and through him a multitude of descendants, but they never saw those descendants. That was all far in the future. And that was okay. It was okay because they weren't looking for a country of their own. They weren't looking for an earthly reward. They were longing for a heavenly reward. We see the same thing in verses 39 and 40 at the end of the chapter. It starts off by saying these, and he's saying these people, the ones that I just listed, both the ones who conquered by faith and the ones who endured suffering by faith. 
These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, again it says they, didn't receive what, they did not receive what was promised. The promise in verse 39 is the something better in verse 40. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the new covenant. He's talking about Jesus. Through whom we are saved by faith, we're justified by faith, and we have access to God by faith. Those are the things that God has promised. Those are the things that are the reward for a life of faith. So here's the big idea, the big idea from this chapter. The life of faith starts with a promise from God to a heart focused on God, leading to confident action for God that will be rewarded by God. All right, I could be done, but I have one more thing. One more thing. Um, What do I do now? It's the same thing that Tim and Kevin said the last two weeks. Okay, I know what faith is about. I've got these examples. What do I do now? When I'm discouraged, when I'm in the midst of my suffering, when I'm doubting God's promises, how do I remain faithful? What do I do? Well, the author of Hebrews knew that we were going to ask that question. And just because the chapter ends with verse 40 of chapter 11 doesn't mean he was done. He keeps going in verse 1 of chapter 12. And right there he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we have a great word picture here. You picture this big stadium. There's a race going on. There's this huge stadium, and it's filled with people, the great cloud of witnesses. And we're the ones running the race, right? It must be something like a marathon because it says that we need to persevere. And I can imagine that running, and I can only imagine, John Folsom and Scott Altoff and some others can tell you, I can only imagine that running a marathon can be discouraging and painful at times, okay? Um, But we have to keep, we're running the race, and there's, there's the finish line. We can see the finish line. It says the race has been marked out for us. It's right there. So that's the word picture. And who is this cloud of witnesses? Okay? They're not just spectators who paid to get in to see the race. They're all the people that he's just talked about in chapter 11 who finished the race. And, and, and I, can, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that for us, that cloud of witnesses includes the people that have gone on before us in faith. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, a mother or a father or a grandparent, right? Example or, or a mentor. It, people in our lives who have lived a life of faith, they're the cloud of witnesses. And here's the point. Here's the key point. It's not, it's not that they're filling up the stadium, looking down, watching us run the race to see if we're going to stumble or if we're going to finish strong. That's not why they're there. They're there because we are looking up at them. They're our examples, right? And we can see they finished the race, and because they finished the race, I can finish the race. All right? They did it, and so can I. There's one more example. There's one more witness who finished the race. Look at verses 2 and 3. Actually, start with the end of, of, of verse 1. Um, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, he, Jesus, Jesus is the last example. He's the witness that we're to lock our eyes on. The author says, the, the NIV says that uh, Jesus is the author of our faith. And when we think of author, we think of somebody who wrote a book, right, or who wrote something. But, but that's, that's not the sense that that word's trying to get across. Some translations will say that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the originator of our faith. He's the pioneer of our faith. He blazed the trail. He marked out the course. He cleared all the obstacles out of the way. And he's the perfecter of our faith. He ran the race, and he ran it perfectly. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John tell all about Jesus' life uh, and how he lived it perfectly. And you see that, especially his, his perfect faith in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was arrested, he was going to go and be flogged, tortured, um, and, and nailed to the cross. And he prayed, not what I will, but what you will. Right? He, he, he knew God's will. God had made his will clear. Jesus' heart was perfectly focused on God, and he was ready to do whatever was necessary so that he could say, it is finished. So when we're discouraged and losing heart, when we're tired of running the race, when we're hurting Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what Hebrews is saying. Lock your eyes on Jesus. Because he finished the race, we can finish the race too. And that's what we do every Sunday morning when we take communion. It's a time for us to to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember what he did uh, on the cross, the work that he did in his life. um, And on the cross, when his body was broken, when his blood was poured out, Um, we remember that he completed the race, and because he completed the race, we can uh, finish the race too. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we just praise you as, as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, for blazing the trail for marking the course, and and for finishing the race so that we can finish it too. Thank you for your sacrifice, um, that because of you, because of God's grace, that we can be adopted uh, as heirs. And Jesus, we just invite you to join us now. um, As we uh, take communion, we remember your life of faith, we remember your sacrifice. uh, And Jesus, we look forward to the day the day that is certain, the day that is sure, when we will see you face to face, and we will take that bread, and we will take that cup in your kingdom.